Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, where I have been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my stories there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And I have noticed this thing happens where a lot of bloggers, we sort of circle around each other for years on end. We A lot of us get kind of sober at the same time, and we read each other's stories, and we cheer each other on. And it's really cool when we can connect in person and chat. And I was fortunate enough to have that happen a couple weeks ago in L.A. I got to have lunch next to a lovely lady who has been an online pal of mine for years. Her name is Laura Ward, and her website is the her blog is Quit Whining, uh, so quitwhining.com, cutely whining, W-I-N-I-N-G.com. And uh, so I was uh, eager to finally get Laura to come on the Bubble Hour so that we could continue our conversation and that you could all learn about this beautiful, sunny, wise woman as well. So Laura, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you so much, Jean. This is so super fun. I was just jamming out to the music the way I do when I'm listening to the pod in my car. <laughs> only, only that we're really talking. <laughs> were you there in L.A. when I actually sang this song on the stage or tried to sing it? Were you still yes, there? Had you left already? Yeah, that no, was, was cool. There. It was like... Uh, it was neat because so many people in the audience knew the words and we were all singing along and it just, I was telling my husband about it afterwards. I was like, it was so cool. (laughs) You know, I forget that people hear this song along with me. So anyway, it's cool. It's neat the way that things join us together. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Well, uh, I'm glad you're here. And, um, we have lots to talk about. The hour is going to go by really quickly. But I want to start by having our listeners just get to know you a little bit and hear your story. So how about we just start by getting to know you and tell us about how y- you came to be where you're at today. Sure. Um, and this goes <laughs> this goes all the way back, right, with, with all of us. I think, I think it does. Um, you know, and, and you had said to me uh, as I prepared for this conversation um, to to talk about before my drinking became problematic, when it became problematic, and now. And I started to think about that the past few days as I put my thoughts together. And, and of course, I've still told my story on the blog, but um, I think the, the further away I get from my drinking the more clearly I can see a lot of things, which is pretty interesting. Um, And I, so I grew up in a drinking family. And even though I don't think I really truly understood what that meant until well into adulthood, it was, it was what it was. Um, My mother was raised by alcoholic parents. Her father actually killed himself in 1973. I was a year old. And her mother was, my grandmother, was in recovery at the time, and she remained sober until she passed from Alzheimer's in 2003. I was actually pregnant with my first child at the time. And I look back at that now, and I had no idea how proud I would become of her and how much I would long for her presence in my life so many years after she was gone. 
And um, I'm skipping forward a little bit saying this, but my pen name when I began blogging, because I didn't do it using my real name. So when I first started writing about my addiction and recovery, my pen name was a tribute to my grandmother. Um, so I'm not, if I'm being honest, I'm not sure my drinking was ever normal. Um, from a very, very young age, unhealthy drinking was modeled for me. I was taught to sip from my parents' drinks, and I loved the taste. It didn't matter if it was wine or beer or rum and Coke or even um, blackberry brandy. My mother used to have me swig from the, the blackberry brandy when I couldn't sleep at night as a child. Um, at the same time, my parents were insanely overprotective. My curfew was always earlier than all my friends, and I was forbidden to attend parties where parents were not at home. I was told not to drink. Um, but not because it was bad for me or because addiction ran in our family, but because I think more of my parents didn't want me to get in trouble or, um, or to be embarrassed by my behavior. They never spoke of addiction. I think if they did, uh, they would have to admit that my mother was and actually still is at 72 years old addicted to alcohol. Um, so that's been a, a, a tough thing with with me getting sober and not really being able to, to talk about it with my parents because they just can't look at things the same way I do. Um, I got drunk for the very first time the summer before I went away to college. And from then on, I drank to get buzzed and never knowing when was enough, I often blacked out. It wasn't an every day or even an every weekend thing, but when I drank, it was to excess every single time. I, I feel like I can't really recall a time where I ever controlled how much I drank. There were always plans to stay in control, to stick to a two-drink limit at this wedding or that Halloween party or whatever it was that I was going to. Um, I, I, I think about, when I think about this, I think about when I was dating my now husband and when we were um, in the early years of our, our marriage. That's really where the conversations around trying to limit my drinking started. And, um, you know, we... I always, I always said, sure, that's a great plan. I really don't want to be hungover tomorrow. Um, let's, let's keep this totally in control. But I was also really good at sneaking off and downing a few drinks when nobody was looking. And um, <laughs> I think about a lot of the times um, that I just completely overdid it and I, I – wonder why my husband didn't run when he still had the chance um, because really from the time we met in 1995 I was riding this boozy roller coaster and I totally took him along for the ride um, lots of lots of crazy escapades um, and and not moments that I'm just not proud of at all um, so some more years went by and we got married in 2000 and then just seven months later in May of 2001, I was in a car accident. I was hit hard from behind and the impact blew a disc in my lumbar spine. 
Um, and the very next day, I was introduced to muscle relaxers and narcotic painkillers. For the next 10 months, I took pills, oftentimes more than prescribed, and I enhanced what they were doing for me uh, by drinking wine or beer. I logged hundreds of hours of physical therapy. I had epidural steroid injections, and long-term, nothing was working for the pain. So in 2002, I had my first spine surgery, and within six months, it was clear that it had not worked. And basically the surgeon told me to go have my babies and come back in five years so he could fuse my spine. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, and, and honestly, laying off drinking was really easy for me when I was pregnant with and nursing my kids. Although I have to admit that I vividly recall the moment someone said to me, that beer helps with milk production. I was just like, yes, I can drink, and it's good for my kid. Um, and so my, um, my son was born in 2004. My daughter was born in 2006. Um, and I, I nursed her for a full year, all the while yo-yoing with the back pain and drinking and struggling with my weight. Um, and during that year, I left my job of seven years and began working as a consultant, kind of unexpectedly launching my own business. I had no idea how to be a business owner, but I knew I was really good at doing the job people wanted me to do for them. And I think that's when things really started to go south for me. I found the best way of dealing with the stress of motherhood and um, financial stress, business ownership. And being in constant pain was to have a couple of glasses of wine at night. And over the next six years, my drinking got progressively worse. And I got better and better at hiding just how much I was consuming. By 2012, I don't think a day went by that I didn't drink at some level. And, um, and by 2013, that daily drinking often began as soon as my kids went to school in the morning and I would plan my drinking and my binges around client meetings and kids after school activities and all the stuff that I needed to get done on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, many days my consumption was a six pack of beer kind of rationed throughout the day and then as soon as I was settled in for the night, um, moving on to red wine, and it was often a full two bottles before I would pass out on the couch after everyone else had gone to bed. And really what I was doing was I was, I was self-medicating a broken back, trying to slow down my brain um, because I felt it was just moving way too fast. And if I didn't slow it down, I was never going to be able to, to do everything I needed to do because it just was racing too fast. Um, I was trying to numb feelings of inadequacy and, and really, really low self-worth. And I was trying to quell anxiety and just not feel. Um, but at the time, I couldn't see that that was what I was doing. I 
I see it now, having done the work to recover. It's a lot easier to look back at, at the why. Why was I doing what I was doing? So for me, working from home from an office in my house had a lot of perks. Um, at the time, the best of which I thought was being able to drink myself through the work day. And, and you look back, and, and I think a lot of us can say this, um, who, you know, anyone who, who kind of established a pattern similar to mine, drinking like that is really hard work. I had to pace myself just right, and I had to make sure I didn't drink too much to be able to drive to a meeting or to speak coherently on a conference call. And toward the end, I miscalculated a lot. I would hear my voice on a call with a client and wonder if they were hearing the same slurring that I was hearing. And there were times when I picked the kids up at school a little bit more buzzed than I meant to be. And I started to take note of those things, but I didn't know how to stop. I, I just, I just kept digging in deeper um, and maybe not digging in deeper, but I just kept getting deeper and deeper into the the hole I was creating. Um, And sometimes I was so drunk by the time my husband got home from work that I would pick a fight with him and take off in my car. Um, There was a night about five years ago. I, to this day, do not remember what he said or I said that triggered me. And I don't remember how much I'd had to drink that day. But I, I left and I just started driving. And I I live now in the state I have always lived in, except when I went away to college. Um, And so I just, and and I love to drive, and I have these favorite back roads, and I just, I just kept driving. And then in, in my head, all of these things were swirling around about how I didn't deserve to be here anymore and I wasn't good for anyone and my kids would be better off without me and and I uh, I started to pick out my tree and I was going to just drive right into a tree and I don't I still don't know why I didn't um, but that was September of 2013 and it was the beginning of the final eight months of my drinking Um, And then after a particularly ugly episode at a client event the following March, something just came over me and I, I knew, I knew something had to change. I knew I couldn't go on the way I was going, but at the same time, I wasn't ready to admit that I was addicted to alcohol. I still thought there had to be a way that I could keep it in my life, even though I'd been trying for years to moderate Um, And I didn't know what any of this was. I hadn't started reading any blogs. I hadn't researched um, alcohol addiction. I hadn't been willing to go there. Um, And and I don't know if we want to say diagnose or assess or, you know, label myself in any way. Um, But I first got sober in May 2014. And I, but I didn't call it sobriety, and I didn't call it recovery. I called it getting healthy. Basically, what I had decided to do was work with a life and health coach 
who I had met through business networking years before, um, I, I called her on my way home from that client event in 2014 and, and just basically said, help. I don't like the way my life is right now. And, and I know you can help me, or if, if you can't, I know you can steer me in the right direction. You can help me find somebody who can, who can work with me. So as I said, I, I called it getting healthy. Um, I, I was ridding my body of toxins and inflammation in preparation for what was at that point an in an, oh my goodness, inevitable spinal fusion surgery that fall. Um, my back has, had gotten so bad that there were days I actually couldn't get up and put one foot in front of the other. So I eliminated alcohol and caffeine and sugar and dairy and gluten, and I lost weight, and I detoxified my body, and I got myself into the best possible shape I could, at least for someone who couldn't always walk or move around the way she wanted to. And... Um, and then I had my, my surgery that November, so it'll be four years next month. And everything went great through the surgery. Um, they, they had me on a morphine drip. And I think it was at that point that I realized how much I liked being clear-headed because I could not get off that morphine drip fast enough. And it was self-administered. And I stopped pressing the button, and they were actually, the, the nurses were actually trying to get me to press it more. And I just said, no, <laughs> bring me some Tylenol. I'll be fine. Um, and it really, it really was fine. And so my recovery from surgery got started. And um, long story short, <laughs> because it is getting a little bit long, I, I relapsed almost seven months to the day after I first got sober in 2014. Um, and after that first drink, I moderated beautifully for about 20 days. And then I slipped right back into my previous drinking habits. And I, I saw it quickly. And I'm so grateful that I did. And I just kind of looked at the situation and said, okay, so this, this has to be a forever thing. This has to be no more alcohol ever because you just can't do it. And on February 3rd, 2015, I took my last drink and I began blogging the next day. Um, I tell people actually my, my blog was born at the bottom of a bottle of red wine. And I kind of started creating it that night that I was drinking and trying to figure out some way to hold myself accountable and to really do this this time. And I woke up the next morning and I looked at all the notes I had made and I said, wow, that actually kind of works. Okay, sure, let's start a blog. And, um, and so that's what I did. And it's been, it's been great to be able to write my way through recovery. Um, it, as, I, as I got started in sobriety for the second time around and was doing my writing, I, I hid my identity, as I mentioned. Um, I used my uh, I used the name Emily Crawford as a pen name, um, which was a tribute to my my grandmother who had um, who had recovered from alcohol addiction in her life. Um, and other than my coach, I didn't tell anyone I knew in person what I was doing with this blog. I connected with people online, but I didn't meet any other sober people in person. 
until right, and I'm not I, I was so good about jotting down my years, but I don't remember exactly when this was, but I went to a local I am not anonymous event in my state where they were doing the the portraits for the online portrait gallery and people telling their stories of addiction and recovery. And so I got to meet Tom Gorris and Kate King, Kate who took all the pictures at She Recovers in LA and uh, Mario DiGiorno and a whole bunch of other people. Um, And that was the first time I met people in recovery in real life. And, And then of course, at She Recovers in New York and She Recovers in LA and starting for me to realize the, the value and true human connection. Um, you know, our, our sober communities, recovery communities online and on social media are amazing. That's how you and I first met and I would not trade that for anything. But when you get to actually make the transition into the real life relationship, it just um, it's beyond the, the cherry and the whipped cream on top. Um, and so that's kind of, that's, I, I think I kind of fast forwarded through my, my recovery. I've done a lot of, a lot of work on myself to, um, to figure out my why, why was I drinking? How could I replace for me in my life what it was I thought alcohol was giving me? And um, and just learning how to reprogram the things that I do every day. Um, I I thought wine and beer and alcohol in general were self care. I had to learn how that's not the case at all. And and actually make that transition from okay. So now I'm I'm learning healthy ways to care for myself, but but transition that into self love which I had never had in my life, um, and I do now, and it makes a huge difference. And so then about 14 months ago, women I know in real life who, um, who I didn't know through um, the recovery community at all, just, just other moms who I've met through friends or who live near me, um, started to reach out to me and say, hey, I, I've been reading your blog and, well, I think I need to stop drinking. Can you help me? And it just, it blew me away, quite honestly. I mean, I, I, I knew people were reading what I wrote, but um, it hadn't gotten to the point where people I actually knew through the kids or other other circumstances said anything to me about it. And and I, I said, Wow, oh my gosh, you know, I have I have my experience I can share, but I have zero credentials whatsoever. I don't I don't think I know how to help anybody. And I, I kind of struggled with it for a bit. Um, I created a, a secret Facebook group because everyone who was reaching out and it was, it was one right after the other, after the other for a solid three, four months. And I just, I kept going, wait a minute, what is this? And so I created a secret Facebook group because we all live in the same, same state in Connecticut. Um, And, and I say this for anyone who might be listening from Connecticut, it's the Connecticut sober moms secret Facebook group. Um, If, if you want in, please let me know, reach out to me. Um, 
because I knew what online connection had been for me when I was getting sober. And I also knew how incredible it felt to meet people in person. So if there was anything that I could do for these women to help them connect with others in, in the same situation, I wanted to make sure I could do that and to see if we could lead into in-person gatherings. Um, because when I first got sober, I didn't know anybody like me. And I think that that is, um, is, is key is with those of us who, who want to share our stories and tell our stories so that everyone else out there who may be struggling can find somebody whose story they identify with and, and feel welcome and feel that they can do this too. Um, so we have almost 20 women in that group now, and we just had our second monthly book club. We, um, we're getting together in person, and it's so cool. But something else happened, too, and I realized that I was being called to do something that I always thought was much bigger than me, but suddenly realized that it was an incredibly logical next step. Um, for months and months, I had been wanting to find a way to focus more on recovery and serving the recovery community, but for me, work and family and everything, life was always just getting in the way. Um, but I had heard about the recovery coaching in May at uh, May 2017 as she recovers in New York. And I really just let it go in one ear and out the other because I didn't think coaching was ever anything I could do. And then with all of these women reaching out to me and realizing that, um, that they felt a connection to me and they wanted my help, I said, well, you better learn the right way to help people who are reaching out to you because, um, because not everybody's going to do it the same way I did. Um, and so I did earlier this year enroll in the, um, in the IAPRC dual coaching program for life coaching and addiction recovery coaching, and I've now received my certification. So um, that's kind of where recovery has taken me. Um, I'm looking at a major career shift the end of this year, beginning of next year, and um, I am just amazed every day by the gift of recovery. I look back at the way I was drinking toward the end and I have no idea how I would be managing my life right now if I was still trying to drink like that. There's just no way I could pull it off. Um, and that said, you know, had I continued drinking the way I was, I'm not so sure I'd actually even be here right now. So I consider myself extremely lucky and um, I think the most important thing for me to do with my experience is to continue sharing it and using it to help people um, find their way through addiction and, and into recovery um, because I had no idea how good life could be. And I think that's your kind of it. That's kind of my story. <laughs> <laughs> it's Your life sounds so much fuller now. I mean, when you're drinking that much, um, as you were, and t 
taking pain medication too or living with chronic pain and self-medicating it, um, you really, you were just barely surviving, really, and now you're really living. You're really able to live, which is beautiful. Um, you really got your life back. What's your, how is your back now as a result of your surgery? Did it, are you pain-free? I have been 100% pain-free since, um, since I woke up in the hospital on November 10th, 2014. Um, and I am actually running a half marathon on Saturday. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. That's incredible. Which, which I'm, I'm not so sure is the smartest idea. I'll be completely honest about that. Um, I had always wanted to be a runner. I did run a half marathon for the very first time six years ago and loved it. I loved the training. I loved the experience. I loved being a runner. I'm slow as anything. I am never going to set any speed records ever, ever, even if I run every day for the rest of my life. I will not win any races, and I'm totally fine with that. But just just what running was for me in, in that it was time for myself and time that I didn't multitask. And I didn't run with a partner. It just, it was mine. And I struggled for years after the surgery trying to decide whether or not to attempt to take that back for myself. And I talked with my surgeon and I talked with the physical therapist and they both said, we do not recommend it. Um, and I listened for a, a couple of years. And then, and then I said, you know what? I have to find out. I absolutely have to know if I can do this because the last time I had done it, the only other time I had done it was before I got sober and I fueled my training runs with alcohol. I would, I would load up the day before and I would run through my hangovers and I needed to know for me that I could, that I could do this. And um, and it looks like I might actually pull it off. We'll see. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Do you, does running? Um, you talked about having anxiety, and that you were, you know, you were part of what you were drinking for was to self-medicate anxiety. Does running? Is that how you deal with it now, or do you have other tools as well that you use to deal with some of your emotional emotional regulation? That is such a great question. Um, for me, removing alcohol from the equation was a game changer for my for my anxiety. I um, I was making it worse, and I, I think you know a lot of us have seen this recently. It's it's um, it's popped up on social media a bunch over the past several weeks. But um, drinking is like pouring gasoline on anxiety. I think that's the quote, um, and I can't recall who it originated with, but I know. I know a lot of people have posted it. And um, once I removed the fuel from that fire, it quieted down a lot. Um, for me, uh, I, do, I do a lot of just taking deep breaths. Um, there's nothing scientific about any breath work that I do, although that's something I definitely want to explore because I've heard amazing things about it. Um, I breathe. I use a lot of oils. Um, I, I 
put myself very consciously and intentionally in situations um, and and think through the different possibilities. Um, I it, it's it's funny. I don't think of myself now as someone who struggles with anxiety. Yet at the same time, it'll creep up on me, um, and that's that's still really interesting for me to to work through. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I necessarily have a go-to. Um, I think I just. I, I think really for me, it's it's thinking through situations before entering into them. Um, obviously we can't control everything that happens and it's the unexpected. I think that can be the biggest trigger for me with, with anxiety. And I'm always kind of talking myself down saying, okay, this is what this is right now. I can't change it in this moment but here's what I can do to get through it. And, and kind of trying to stay even and, and not get to freak out level <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> um, and that, that works for me is um, just, just trying to, trying to talk myself through different things. Um, you, you mentioned oils. I'm a big fan of oils as well. Um, like, I think Ellie, in, a, in a show long ago, uh, one of these Bubble Hour episodes, Ellie, um, the, the founder and one of the original hosts of this show, she said, you know, anything that promises me something, like if it says sleepy time tea, I'm taking it. If it says like, if, if it says like hope lotion, I'm using it. <laughs> Like anything that has a promise on the label, like this is as, as addicts, we're kind of drawn to those things that promise to change how we feel a little bit. And for me, um, I find uh, oils uh, feed that part of me as well. If like, if I just am like, okay, this is citrus, it's energizing. I mean, it really is energizing, but um, also, I don't know, I'm just drawn to the idea of being able to enhance how I'm feeling or change how I'm feeling. How do you use oils? What what ones do you like and how do you use them? I use, um, I was introduced to doTERRA oils several years ago. And those are the only ones I really have experience with. Um, a friend of mine had become a consultant with the company and was doing an emotional class. And there was, there's a, a package of them um, with several different, there's forgive, console, peace. Well, the little roller balls. I have those too. They're great. I'm going to forget the names. There were five or six oils in the package. I have one in my hand. It's motivate. Yes. <laughs> motivate. Yes. Forgive. Console. Yep, that's one of them. Uh, passion yeah. was one mm-hmm. too. And she held a two-week, two weeks, I think, um, course. In she just developed these exercises and using them and writing down your experience and um, and it was through a, a private Facebook group and that was my my first introduction and I just started going to them to that just just to that one set at first um, for whatever was going on and then I said well you know what these aren't all the emotions I'm ever going to feel there are other oils for things and I just 
I just started purchasing them for myself. So um, I will diffuse peppermint in the office um, because I feel like it helps me focus. Or if I really feel like I can't get out of a rut, I'll diffuse motivate or I'll put some on the insides of my arms. Um, I'm, I'm really just beginning to be a student in all of this and kind of experimenting and doing things my own way. This morning I went for a training run and I put breathe. There's one called breathe and I put that on my neck and on my chest. I wasn't having trouble breathing, but I knew that I was going to try and run a little bit faster than I normally do. So I was kind of gearing myself up and giving myself whatever kind of tools I could for that. Um, And then you know, came back, did a bunch of work, showered and had to go to the PTO meeting. And I was like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. I need to shift to go sit amongst a group of women and talk about how to spend money on different things for the school. Hold on. What am I doing now? And I had a a roller of one that's called in tune. And I just put a little dab of that on the insides of my wrists and breathed it in and said, okay, I'm good now. I'm ready to go. (laughs) And it's just, for me, it's, it's trial and error. Um, I don't go to bed at night without putting some lavender on my pillow. I put it, I put it on my pillow so that I can smell it while I'm falling asleep. Um, and, and it's fun. My, my kids are actually starting to enjoy the oils as well. My daughter will put lavender on her pillow and, um, my son was, um, a little bit congested and we, we were away for a hockey tournament last weekend and we actually diffused breathe in our hotel room and he woke up the next morning. He's like, mom, that stuff's amazing. So Mm. it's, you know, I think I, I think there is definitely some science to it, but I think it's also what we believe, you know, if we think it will help us, it will help us. Yeah. I think there's both to it. I mean, there's some for sure that definitely have a physiological effect physical effect. I mean, peppermint, you put that on your temples when you have a headache. Wow. It feels so good. But um, there's, for me, there's a lot that's just, it's just kind of a mental thing. Like ritual is one of the things I really miss, uh, missed initially about drinking and still ritual I'm really drawn to. So, you know, with, when you're drinking, there's the choosing of the wine or, you know, towards the end, the ripping open of the box. smelling that whatever you know there's all the rituals and the mental game of it and I find that um like setting up my coffee pot before I go to bed so that it's ready for in the morning that's a ritual that really helps me and gives me some delayed gratification and then in the morning I get up and while the coffee's brewing I pour water into the diffuser and I'm then I'll like search um because if you put like diffuser recipes for fall in your in your search bar, then you'll get all these like pretty little pictures that say like two drops of clove, three drops of cinnamon, two drops of orange. And so I get out my little box of oils and I make this little concoction and turn on the diffuser and then my kitchen smells like fall, you know. And somehow like just the the ritual of doing that gives me like a, I don't know, there's something about it that's calming to me. And uh, I guess it's, it even goes, I think, to, to having... Uh, some eating disorder like behaviors that I like to be in control a little bit and mm-hmm. to control your environment and all of that. I think there's there's a lot of fun and calming and nice things about it. Okay, well, that was a whole other tangent. Man, oils are fun <laughs> to talk about. People that aren't into oils, I'm telling you, like, just go and get like some lemon and some lavender and just play with them because you'll be surprised at how nice they make you feel. 
You yeah. talked about your secret Facebook group, and um, I just wanted to, for our listeners that don't know how those work, if they search the name of your group on on Facebook, they won't find it, right? They need to contact you either on Facebook right. or through your blog and ask you to add them. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It will not come up in a search because that's the beauty of the secret Facebook group is that <laughs> you cannot find it. So it's safe <laughs> and we can have conversations and so, nobody uh, needs to know that you're part of the group. That's right. Okay. So people that are in Laura's area, I do encourage you to do that because it is a really wonderful thing. And I love the size of your group even. I mean, I, I'm in a couple online groups that are close to a thousand people and it's wonderful, but I, I, I love it because wherever I go, I can post, oh, I'm traveling here. And then someone will be from there. I meet people for coffee all over the world. But to have just a nice small group that can actually physically meet up every month, that's amazing. Uh, I love that. It is. And, and I, you know, Connecticut is not a large state. And, you know, even so, we are spread out enough that the group changes um, depending on where we're meeting and when we're meeting. So we haven't all been together yet, but hopefully at some point in the future that will work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on that topic of, you know, wanting to protect anonymity and secrecy and all of that, which is it's important, I think, in early recovery because it is a it's a tender time, and um, it's just down the road a lot of people choose to become more open about their recovery or not, depending on the pathway that they're taking. But um, for those that are do feel called to sort of recover out loud in order to help other people, it's a big step to make that decision. So tell me about when and why you decided to stop writing with a pen name and how that felt at the time. Oh, I love this question. This is so good. So the the, the biggest reason I started with the pen name was that I was absolutely terrified of my clients finding out. It wasn't even so much um, if friends or family found out I, I actually did tell well I told my my sister and my brother and my aunt and several family members um I still don't think my parents know about the blog and um and that's just fine um because I I really don't know how that would change things if they knew about the role I was playing in this in this space um but so it was it was really more of here, here I've spent the better part of a decade building a business. As a consultant, I don't have any employees. It's just me. I am accountable for everything. Um, and, and a lot of my clients at that point were long-term clients. So they'd been part of it, even though they didn't know. Um, and Talk I about your field, terrified. Laura, because I think that that's important, too, because you're in the, in the PR field, correct? I'm in public relations, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and you know, I'd I'd never missed a deadline. I'd never botched anything for for anyone. Not in any detrimental, terrible, horrible way. Anyway, I mean, mistakes. Yes, we all make mistakes. Um, although I used to think that they were unacceptable that on any level. So um, <laughs> sobriety and recovery have helped me with that as well. But sorry, tangent. Um, <laughs> and I so can relate. I just, I'm raising my hand. Yes, I can relate. 
just, it was, so that was really it. It was, it was protecting my livelihood and my ability to um, provide for my family because I really was just that level of terrified that something horrible would happen from a business standpoint if, if anybody found out. Um, and about seven months into the blogging, I just got so tired of feeling like I was hiding and feeling like I really wasn't sharing who I was. I, it felt like a, a dual personality or a double life. And, you know, that it probably was just the fact that that was on top of managing online presence for so many different clients and, and being in so many different roles and brands and everything all the time that when it came to myself, I just, I just wanted to be me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be different people. Um, you know, so I had an Instagram and a Facebook for the blog, and then I had my own Instagram and Facebook personally, and there was zero crossover. And I, I just got to the point where I said, you know what? What is the point of, what is the point of saying, I am doing this because when I first stopped drinking, I didn't know anybody like me, without telling people that it's really me so and it wasn't it wasn't something that I spent an incredible amount of time stewing over I just kind of said you know what done over I I have to I have to come out and and be me um you know it wasn't any grand announcement it was just it just wasn't Emily Crawford anymore it's me it's Laura um and it it was it was definitely scary. I had a, a couple of interesting situations. Um, a, a gentleman I know through one of my clients came up to me in a, a public situation, um, an event for the client, and he you know he he's um he could be my grandpa, and he, he put his arm around me and and said, wow you just did something I never thought I'd see you do. You, you just, you just changed everything about you. And, uh, and I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? And I had, I had just posted an article on the Huffington post and it, it somehow cross posted to my personal Facebook. Although I couldn't see it on my personal Facebook, other people could. And mm-hmm. he saw it and read it and, I said, "Oh, you saw that, huh?" <laughs> he goes, "He goes, yeah. You know what? Me too." And Aww. it just was the absolute coolest thing that could have Aww. happened. That's awesome. And, and I love, I love those me too moments. I had like four in one week last month, and really? it just, it just blew my mind every single time. Um. It's just, and, and it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't open and, and telling my story. And I know that recovering out loud is not for everybody, but I'm so glad it's something that I'm comfortable doing because it's, it's helping create this life I never imagined living. And, and, and yet you said people. that your parents aren't really aware of what you're doing or <sighs> the impact that you're having. Can we, can we talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah. Do you, 
Fantastic. Okay. So tell me how, how, what that looks like and what it feels like for you. So um, my parents know that I don't drink anymore. Um, I don't think that they realize it's a forever thing or it's intended to be a forever thing. I mean, relapse is always a drink away, right? So um, we, we just have today um, and all the days before today. But, um, but it, it truly is, even at this point for me, still very much one day at a time. Um, and they don't recognize addiction as a disease or a, a mental health, or it, they, it's it's very much um, willpower, mind over matter. If you if you want to stop drinking, you just you just set your mind to it. Um, I don't. I, even for my mom, having watched her own mother go through um, the the process of getting sober and um, working through AA to recover, I just, hmm, that I, we haven't talked about it. Um, I, I know what I think they believe, um, and it's, it's one of those things where the, the conversations just don't happen. Um, I found out actually several months after the fact, my, my dad had been out um, visiting with family, um, family of his father's second wife um, because she was, her health was declining and, um, and they all got together. And he actually said something to the group about how proud he was of me, but he will never say it to me. Um, and I'm, I have to apologize because I lost your original question, Jean. Um, this is, this is something I struggle so hard with, um, with, uh, I'm so sorry. There's a call coming in. I don't know if that's beeping into our podcast. Okay. Um, but I just, uh, I've gotten to the point of forgiveness. Um, and and acceptance, I think, and with 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 them, my parents not being able to be in the same place with this as I am. Um, uh, I don't even. I I'm not even sure where to go right now. Um, I just I just don't I don't think they will ever understand what this side of it is like um my dad can my dad can take it or leave it he's had different times in his life where he's had to put down alcohol for medical reasons or or other things um and he's done fine with that Uh, i don't think it's something my mother can ever do and I think I think that having conversations with them about my sobriety and my recovery um, would be too difficult for for my mom in particular because it it will take her back to what she grew up with in her family and it will 
possibly force her to to take a look at herself that um, that I don't think she's ever going to be able to do um, to to look at at her behavior um, and and the role alcohol plays in her life. Um, so it's kind of just one of those unspoken things. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of alcohol at family events. Um, we were out at a, a big family dinner a couple of years ago, and and my my dad puts his arm around me and he says, "I know you're not drinking right now, but when you start again, you've got to try Tito's vodka." <laughs> and I think my jaw just hit the floor. <laughs> my sister's jaw hit the floor. My brother's jaw hit the floor. And I just, I said, okay, Dad, <laughs> I'll let you know. Um, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting situation with us, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, that was a thank you for being so open and honest on a question. I kind of ambushed you with that because you didn't, we didn't really talk about going there, but um, I'm, I'm really glad that you we're willing to talk about your family a little bit because um, it's so complicated for all of us and um, doubly so when um, they just can't meet you where you're at or even recognize or be proud of you or be happy for you or any of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's a hard thing. We um, We talked about one more thing, and I want to touch on it in the minutes that we have left. And you were saying how, as you were kind of preparing for talking with me today and looking back on your life and thinking about your story, you said uh, to me before we started recording, you said, you know, every time I tell my story, I realize it evolves a little. And um, I think that is the beauty of recovery, that I, I picture us as being, you know, 90 years old and still discovering things about ourselves, or being able to look at our lives with fresh eyes, but... Tell me what you've learned, why that happens, and why it's a gift. Sure. I think I think for me, the further away I get from it, the clearer my eyes get. Um, and I can think back on, on things that now I see as, as red flags or... Um, you know, just kind of telltale signs of things to come. Um, again, not not ever blaming, you know, and, and just for a second I want to make it clear that I don't blame anyone for um, for my my addiction. Um, I had said something a few minutes ago about forgiving my parents and, and it's it's forgiving um, forgiving their behavior around alcohol, which is one of the things that changes, um, evolves. In my story, as I, I look back, I I see things that happened when I was a kid, and I go, oh, oh my gosh, wait, she was completely drunk. That's why that happened. You know, oh, I, I remember yeah. situations um, in in restaurants at dinner, um, or you know, coming home from being being at a party with my parents at a friend's house and, and my mom getting sick in the car and now understanding what that was. And then the next morning she was pouring all of the alcohol in the house down the, the kitchen sink. Um, or all the times I came home from school and was banging on the front door 
um, because my mom was passed out on the couch. I thought she was just taking a nap. Now I know that's not what it was. Um, and it's um, and just it's it's interesting because I as I get older, I'm having more and more trouble remembering things if from a short term standpoint. But some of my <laughs> like where you put your way car back keys. childhood <laughs> memories are becoming much clearer. Um, and so the you know the for me the story the story evolves because um, I think the the lens changes a little bit the more sober days I add and the more time I spend recovering and living my life in this different way I can see how completely disordered everything was before you know and 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 I used to I used to look back and go oh you know you were just a regular typical college student everybody drinks like that and no not everybody drinks like that and and being able to look at things and and see it the way I was talking about earlier with you know I don't I don't think my drinking was ever normal I I think I think it was a problem from from the very first time I had a sip of anything um, maybe that's being a little bit over dramatic, but um, but as I thought about it yesterday, I said nothing about this was ever normal, especially when it was first introduced to me when I was way too young to be to be having what was given to me. So that's uh, that's why I think it it changes just a little it's bit. Like, I feel like in early recovery, we're connecting the dots, but the dots are really far apart, and then the more we learn about ourselves and the more we heal parts of ourselves, then dots in between the dots start to emerge, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's like, Oh, and so it's not just a straight line from that first dot to the second dot. Like maybe there's a curve to it or something. So I, I, I like you say, I think I would look back on my adolescent years and just say, Oh, you know, I partied a little bit when I was in um, junior high, but I just like to have fun. Well, now I think I would say, a, junior high, 13, 14, 15 years old is way too young to be drinking, first of all. <laughs> I put myself in some very stupid and sometimes dangerous um, situations because I was wanted to be liked. I, I understand the role of being defined by others and not having a strong sense of self and being a people pleaser and codependence, basically. I understand the role that that played in my young life. And so I, I'm able to now see things I did that I just sort of didn't think were um, illustrative of anything, now I can look at them and say, oh, my God, such a shining example of how, you know, I had already begun to lose myself at that young age. So uh, it is really, yeah. you're right, the stories really do evolve as we get through them. Um, so I want to just end by talking a little bit about your coaching and how the the help that you're giving to others in the community that you're building that you you I love that you really took it upon yourself to think okay if I'm going to do this uh, as um part of my my life's accomplishment I'm going to do it well um excuse me and you proceeded to get your certification as a recovery coach so that's a really exciting new chapter that you're embarking on, and I just wonder if you want to talk about that a little bit, what you hope to accomplish um, in helping others and sort of what your personal philosophy is about recovery. 
Oh, sure. Definitely. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I, um, my personal, personal philosophy about recovery is, um, is that it, it, it doesn't matter how you recover as long as you do. Um, and, and that there's, there's no wrong way. Um, there are so many different pathways to recovery. Um, and this is something that we, you know, we talk about in the She Recovers community all the time um, is that there, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Um, coaching might not work for some people. It worked for me. And I think that that's what, um, what helped me make the decision to go the coaching route with um, with being able to to offer help to people, but um, but isn't it's not going to be a right fit for everyone. Um, so so when it comes to you know my philosophy, it's it's just um, it's that you know whatever kind of help you need, I think it's out there. Um, it's just a question of finding what works for you and and. You know, maybe you start with a coach and realize that that's not the right thing, but through that coaching, you find the thing that is the right thing. Um, and so, and so that's that's really where I want to land with doing the the coaching work is working with individuals who want to want to make a change. Um, maybe it's maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, um, maybe they're just not happy in their life, um, and there aren't any substances involved. I've had such a good experience working with someone, a coach, who is different from a counselor or a therapist and can ask you the types of questions that will help you shift your mindset and find the right path for yourself without being told, well, you should do this or you should do that. It really, I think, um, for, for something to take hold in the strongest possible way, it needs to come from within. And I think that, that coaching is what gets someone to that place where, um, where you're, you're having aha moments and realizing that, that things don't have to be the way they are or stay the way you thought they always had to be, um, and that even when, even when you feel you're at your lowest and um, things are at their most negative, they're not necessarily as as bad as you as you think they are. Um, and so it's it's really for me the coaching um, is a what I like most about it is the the ability to help someone shift their mindset and get to a place where they feel hope uh, for the future and feel empowered. I want to empower people um, that I, I've never been empowered until, until I got sober. Um, I didn't know what it felt like to be powerful. And that's something I want to help other people connect with. Well, I love that. And I think that's a perfect spot to wrap up our conversation today. How can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, the, the blog, as you mentioned, is quitwhining.com. It's whining without the H, um, which people keep telling me is wrong, but, <laughs> but it's quitwhining.com. Um, on 
Instagram, I'm Laura P. Ward. It's kind of a, a shift away from the blog just because, um, and it, it's interesting that this comes up, but because um, I saw you post your question the other day. Um, but I want to, I want to brand me as a, a person versus brand the blog moving forward as I, as I step into this coaching role. So Laura P. Ward on Twitter and Instagram, um, Laura Ward on, on Facebook. Um, but probably the best idea would be to pop onto the blog and send me a message through there or, or through Instagram. Well, that is so great. Thank you so much, Laura, for being part of our discussion today. I really appreciate just getting to know you a little bit more and hearing your story. And thank you for having such a big heart for helping others and for sharing your story. Jean, thank you so much for the invitation to do this. I had a great time. I can't thank you enough. Oh, it's good to have you. So, everyone, um, thank you for listening today. As always, you can email me, thebubblehour at gmail.com. Um, there's all the ways that Laura mentioned to reach her, but you can also send me an email if, if that's easiest for you, and I'll forward it on. Um, or if you have any suggestions for show um, guests or if you would like to be a guest, uh, of course, you can send me a message, and we will set it up. Uh, we do ask to be a guest on the show. You have 90 days of sobriety. But lately I have been getting written submissions from people in earlier recovery and different stages of recovery. And so I'm going to be posting a show uh, in the next week or two here that is um, things I'm reading from people that aren't quite ready to be on the show yet but that want to share their story nevertheless. So there's lots of ways to get in touch with me and to share your story just like Laura did today. So that's it for the Bubble Hour this week, everyone. Until next time, take good care. I did that, not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Weakness head on me In a dark corner is where shame lies behind Strong just cause you keep it on the side. It just stays and waits there to rob you.